right. So thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dr. Yasmin Farshad. I'm the Practitioner Education Manager for Wise Women Herbals. And I want to welcome you to part one of the Botanical Approaches to Women's Wellness series presented by certified herbalist Chris Vaughn and sponsored by the Wise Women Herbals Practitioner Learning Community. If this is the first time you've attended any of our previous or our current events, thank you so much for joining us. And if this is a return for you, welcome back. Chris will be discussing botanical therapeutics for menstrual irregularities and PMS. Today, she will provide a detailed overview of the menstrual cycle, why some women experience amenorrhea, what causes painful cycles, the different types of premenstrual syndromes, and botanical therapeutics for hormone support and symptom reduction. Chris Vaughn is a certified herbalist, as well as the owner and program director of Herbal Wisdom Institute in Arizona. She has been part of the Wise Women Herbals family for 10 years and is also the director of practitioner experience. She's a board certified holistic healthcare practitioner and certified Reiki practitioner. She's an avid camper and known as the crazy herb lady. And if you've ever had her as an instructor, you would know that her passion for plants is contagious and her love of teaching about them radiates from her smile. She's the only person I know that can get someone to go on a plant walk and start the plant walk not liking plants and leave the plant walk wanting to learn more. So um, it's been a pleasure working with her. I've, I've known her for the past five years, and she has also been my botanical mentor. She lives in northern Arizona with her family and two mastiffs, where she enjoys regular plant walks and creating herbal botanical events and opportunities for her community. Thank you so much for joining us today, Chris. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to teach today. And Yes, I'm kind of the crazy plant lady. So, you know, and I didn't start off that way. It just develops. Like, it just happens. So, <laughs> so it's fun. And today's topic is uh, a really popular one, um, PMS and premenstrual syndrome. Uh, I'm sorry, menstrual irregularity. So, for some people, it may not be a big deal. And for some people, this topic is, I mean, it can be debilitating for them to the point where they can't go to work or they can't go to school. They, you know, so it does affect their life. So we're really excited for you to present this information today. And if you do have any questions, um, participants, please feel free to type them in the chat box. She does have a lot of content to cover today. So we will be going over uh, all those questions at the end. And then um, if there is a pressing question during the presentation, then she'll, she'll go ahead and answer that. Right. Okay. So if you registered um, before, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen really quick. Um, but if you registered before um, this morning, there was a handout that was sent out. So um, if you don't have that, don't worry. Um, you'll get that along with the recording that gets sent out after this event. So um, if you have it and you want to use that to take notes, follow along, it's a handout of all of these slides and you'll also have my resources on there. So it's really helpful for that. Um, this, as, as Dr. Farshad said, there's a lot of content I'm going to cover in this short amount of time. So I'm going to just dive right in and not do a whole lot of fluff in the beginning here. Um, we might go over time, especially if I stop to answer some questions, but if you have to hop off before, um, we finish. Don't worry about it because, like I said, you're going to get the recording sent to you by email. Um, Wise Woman Herbals will send that to you within the next 24 to 48 hours. So don't worry if you have to hop off if I'm running late. I can talk a lot. So 
and I do tend to go over a little bit, but I talk fast too. So if you need me to slow down, tap, you know, write that in the chat box and I'll try to slow down or I can repeat something or, or answer a question, whatever you need. Um, so, so don't hesitate to do that. Now, as I present this information, um, I want you to just really remember, oh, let me, um, get to where, there we go. So this is what we're going to be talking about, women's health, menstrual irregularities, and PMS. And um, I just want you all to be aware that I am an herbalist. I am not a doctor. So I'm going to be talking about botanical therapeutics as I know it through my education and through my clinical work um, with women over the last 10 years. So um, I'm going to share a, a variety of different kinds of information. We're going to go through an overview of things first, and then I'll go into the botanical therapeutics. So here's what we're going to cover. We're going to talk about amenorrhea, what that is, and what are some of the causes. Dysmenorrhea, what is that, and what causes dysmenorrhea. Um, and then we're going to talk about PMS and the different classifications of PMS. We tend to think of PMS as only one thing, but there's actually several different types of PMS, and so each woman will experience PMS differently. And I'm also going to be talking about herbal actions that are specific in the female um, glandular system, um, and then specific actions that we're looking for for each of these conditions. And so that's going to make it really helpful for you when you're starting to put formulas together, how to decide what types of herbs to put into a formula, what herbal actions are you looking for, and then that helps you narrow down what types of herbs you're going to choose. So we'll go through that, and then we're going to go through specific herbs that I want to talk about um, that I use often, and then um, keeping in mind that there are so many more than what we're going to discuss today. So for the interest of time, I just had to pick a handful. You know, I would love to talk about, you know, every single one I could think of, but yeah, we just don't have time for that. <laughs> so, okay, let's um, jump right into just an overview. This is an ovary. And so what you see in this image is the progression of what we call eggs. They're actually called follicles. And so um, we have a primary follicle here, and then it begins to grow. So this is at the very beginning of our cycle. So we have just had our menstruation, and now this primary follicle begins to grow, and um, so this is showing you the progression over time of what happens with that egg cell and how it separates from the follicle coming to the time of ovulation where that egg breaks free from the ovary and is released. And then that follicle begins to um, um, close down or um, decompose or whatever, however you want to call that, that follicle begins to degrade. So this is happening every month. And so the egg is growing and expanding in that first approximately 14 days of a cycle. And then the egg is released at ovulation and then the follicle declines. And we start the process all over again. And so here is just an overview of what happens in an average 28-day cycle. And so your first part of this is the follicular phase. And so this is happening before the release of an egg. And this is the 
um, where the body is building that follicle and building that egg and, and you're approaching ovulation. As this is happening, the body produces increasing amounts of estrogen and this causes the lining of the uterus to begin to thicken and it helps to create a very sperm friendly environment. And so we're getting everything ready for when that egg is released, that all the conditions are right, so that when sperm is introduced, the egg and the sperm have a great party and everything's good. So the um, higher estrogen levels also trigger a sudden increase in another hormone called luteinizing hormone or LH. And this surge is what then causes the release of the egg. So that is what stimulates ovulation. And so that, like I said, happens approximately 14 days into the cycle. Every woman is a little bit different. So give or take a few days that can happen um, anywhere in that middle time span. Um, ovulation normally occurs 24 to 36 hours after LH has spiked. So we get that spike of the hormone and sometime 24 to 36 hours later, that egg will release. Now the egg only has about 24 hours for it to be fertilized. So this is a really small window of time. And so, you know, when I look at it like that, I'm like, man, it's a wonder that this ever happens the way that it's supposed to, because it's just such this tiny window of time. Now, if that egg is not fertilized and it cannot then implant into the uterus, then the uterus begins to shed and we have a menstrual cycle again or a period. Okay. So this whole process, um, the follicular phase, that building of the egg, the ovulation, and then the luteal phase, um, where we're waiting for pregnancy, um, this whole process is called the menstrual cycle, this whole approximately 28 day thing. Um, the time where we bleed, our period is what we often will call as our menstrual cycle, um, but that's the menses part of that cycle. So the luteal phase, that time after the egg releases, that's the second half of our cycle, so approximately days 15 to 28. Um, that's where we're waiting and hoping for implantation. Um, after you ovulate, the, the corpus luteum, that's the structure inside the ovaries that, that develop that, holds that developing egg, that begins to collapse and it begins to produce progesterone. Progesterone helps that thickening of the uterus um, so that that egg has a really spongy place to land and implant. Um, and if the, if no egg implants, then the corpus luteum will stop producing progesterone. And after about 10 to 16 days, and then you'll shed your lining during your period. So, um, the body knows within that 24 hours after releasing an egg, whether or not that has, that has been fertilized. And if it has not, then that corpus luteum begins to collapse and stops producing the progesterone. So, you know, I kind of look at this whole cycle as like throwing a surprise party for your husband, right? So the first part is where you're inviting all of your friends and you're getting the cake baked and you're decorating the house and you're getting everything set up for this party. Then the um, ovulation phase is all of your friends come in and you hide in the living room and you're waiting, right? 
Then your husband walks in, that's ovulation. Y'all jump up and say surprise, right? And then the party winds down and that's the luteal phase. I know it's a really like simplified way of looking at it, but that's how I picture it. It's like, it's all building up to this big party at ovulation. And then, okay, we calm down and we get on to the end of it. So, you know, there's just a lot of tension that's around that ovulation time and it's really exciting. So in this process, you know, there's a lot of ways that, um, or a lot of places in this process where we can have disruption. Um, and so we're gonna talk about um, three really main conditions where we have some kind of disruption or um, issues during this whole cycle. So let's talk about some herbal actions first that we're going to be talking about because I'm going to use these words and so I want you to have just a basic understanding of what some of these mean if, you, if botanicals are new to you, okay? So we're going to talk about herbs that are amenagogues. Amenagogues stimulate the menstrual process. So they stimulate, oftentimes stimulate bleeding or, or um, uh, stimulate the uterus in general. Uh, uterine tonics are things that strengthen and tonify the tissue of the uterus. Um, then we have hormone normalizers. So these are herbs that will directly affect hormone production or hormone balance. Um, we'll have uterine astringents. These are things that help to reduce blood loss from the uterus. And so this is helpful for people that experience very heavy menses. Um, we will also talk about uterine demulsants. And so these are things that soothe irritated, inflamed tissue and they moisten things. Um, and then we're gonna talk a little bit about nervines. Those are herbs that have some kind of an action in the nervous system. That's a very simplified way of looking at them. In reality, there are many different categories of nervines, but in general, a nervine is anything that has an action in the nervous system. And then antispasmodics, those herbs that relieve spasming of muscle tissue. Okay, so we're going to go first into amenorrhea. Amenorrhea simply means the absence or lack of menstruation. And so we talked earlier, normal menstruation is approximately 28 days, give or take three days, one way or the other. Um, flow will usually last about five days, being heaviest on the second day. Um, there's three, three main categories of amenorrhea, or reasons why a woman will stop having a menstrual cycle or maybe have never had a menstrual cycle. So we're going to talk a little bit about primary amenorrhea, secondary amenorrhea, and then just erratic or irregular menstruation. So primary amenorrhea means that menstruation did not begin when it was supposed to, or that it has not begun by age 16. Now, we're seeing a lot of shifts in this because what we see a lot of times now is girls having their menstrual cycle far sooner than they ever did before. The average age to begin a menstrual cycle is around age 13. And, um, you know, now we have some girls that maybe they're starting their menstrual cycles at nine and 10 years old. And so there's a lot of theories as to why 
that's happening. Um, and then different reasons why there won't be menstruation at all. Um, oftentimes there might be um, some dysfunction in the ovary for one reason or another. There may be hormones that are out of balance. Um, and so some of that is coming from now, this is my theory. So like, you know, I always say this is from the book of Chris, you can take it or leave it. But, um, you know, I look at the high amounts of hormones that are in our food supply, uh, because we have factory farmed animals that we are eating most of the time, unless you're eating all organic. You know, my, my family, um, my girls grew up, we're hunters. And so my girls grew up on wild game meat. And so it was really interesting to see my girls um, against some of the other girls that they went to school with. Um, their friends would come over and they were very developed at you know 10 and 12 years old and looked much older than what they were. My girls looked much younger especially compared to their friends. And, and I really believe that's because we did not feed them um, a lot of the conventional meat from the store and conventional dairy and things like that. But those are also not the only ways that we get excess hormones. Uh, we, we will find it in our water supply, um, you know, and, you know, medications that go into the landfill and that goes into the water supply. So we're constantly exposed to minute amount of hormones, but we also are exposed to things that are hormone disruptors. So plastics that we um, store our food in or plastic water bottles. Um, and, and then there's multitudes of other things that disrupt hormone regulation. And so those are some factors to consider when a, a girl is not experiencing menstruation around the time that she should. Now, the other thing to consider is the girl's level of body fat and their exercise level. So you'll see primary amenorrhea often in girls that are um, extremely athletic. A, a lot of times it's the runners, um, swimmers, dancers, uh, you'll see that they have such low body fat that they just cannot get to the right levels in order to stimulate menstruation. Um, and that sometimes will balance itself out as they slow down their exercise level, um, but sometimes it doesn't. And so that's something to look at too. Are they extremely athletic? Are they extremely thin? And is that um, genetic? Is that their constitution or is that related to their exercise level? Secondary amenorrhea will be the cessation of menstruation after at least one normal period. So this, this girl has started her period on time or around the time we expect that she would and then she doesn't have another one. Um, and this may happen down the road. So, you know, it could be years after she has had normal menstrual cycles and then all of a sudden there's no more cycle. And so, of course, your most common thing that you look at is, is there pregnancy happening, right? Because that's going to stop a cycle. But other issues um, that you'll see on your screen, like excessive stress, stress will completely throw off 
a cycle. And, you know, this is also where I like to um, discuss how we manage stress in our world and really how we view stress. And so we have really a, um, a society of extremely high stress individuals. I, I don't talk to anybody that tells me that they don't have stress in their life. And even if it's good stress, I mean, some things are really good, like, oh, you're planning a wedding. That's really happy time, but that's a really stressful time too. And so good stress, bad stress, it doesn't matter. The body responds to stress the same way, regardless of whether it's good or bad stress and regardless of whether it's real or perceived stress. So I find this to be really interesting. You know, if you're watching a lot of, you know, crime and murder shows, and, and you're seeing these graphic images happening on the screen, your body is going to go into a stress response as if you, it is happening to you. So, you know, I, this is where I kind of get on a soapbox and say we really need to like pay attention to what we're watching and what we're listening to and who we're hanging around and all of those things. But stress really does matter. And we like to downplay that in society today. Um, but we can also... Um, lose our cycle if we go through extreme weight loss or weight gain. And so yo-yo dieting will definitely change the cycle. Um, but then there's a whole host of other things. Um, one thing not on here is um, thyroid disorder. So I deal a lot with clients with thyroid disorder. And so that's one of the first things that I suggest that they go to their practitioner for and have that checked is just make sure that's working correctly because if you're too far one way or another in that spectrum of thyroid hormones you can experience either too heavy of cycles or no cycles at all um, so lots of different things to take a look at um, if there is a, a cycle that has stopped Now, erratic or irregular menstruation. So this could be a, a lot of things. So maybe um, a woman has started to only have a few cycles a year. Um, now, what, what's her age, right? Is she coming to time of, um, is she in like postmenopause or premenopausal time? That's fairly normal that we're going to start to get erratic or irregular menstruation. Um, are those cycles coming too close together? Uh, so there are some, some women that will start to experience cycles like every two weeks, or maybe they're having a lot of spotting in between cycles. Um, maybe it is just erratic in the way that now all of a sudden they're having a day or two where they're having just really heavy menstrual flooding. So it's any change outside of the norm in their menstrual cycle, we would call erratic or irregular. And so some contributing factors to really look at when this is happening, of course, first of all, age, like I said, are we looking at menopause? We've already ruled out um, pregnancy, um, that they're not um, nursing from a previous pregnancy, those kind of things. But we look at lifestyle also in general. Um, what is their stress level? Um, what's happening in their relationships, um, what is their nutrition like, are they eating a diet that is full of nutrients or void of nutrients, um, do we have to help them work on a different nutrition plan where we can really fill the body with nutrient-rich foods. Um, a lot of times that in, in, its, in itself 
will adjust an irregular or erratic menstrual cycle, just getting really good nutrition in. Um, and then, you know, also looking at, are there some hormone imbalances? Is there a progesterone issue, an estrogen issue, testosterone issue, you know, all those things. And so that's where like I, as a, a herbalist, you know, I, because I don't do medical um, testing or anything like that, I, I act more as a guide and an educator. And so I make sure that I'm working alongside practitioners that I can refer my clients to in order for them to have, you know, all these other things monitored. So if you're an herbalist and a botanical practitioner, um, or if you're a doctor of some sort, uh, you know, I really recommend that we make these partnerships um, to really provide a more comprehensive help for our clients when they come to see us for these things. So some herbal actions that we're looking at specifically for amenorrhea. We definitely want to look at amenagogues because for some reason the menstrual cycle is not happening. And so we're going to look at plants that are going to stimulate that menstrual process to happen. And so I've listed some herbs here. I'm not going to go into detail in the, for them right now. We're going to do that at the end. We'll go through all the herbs at the end. Um, but some of the ones that we look to often for this would be Sinisifuga racemosa, um, that's black cohosh, Vitex agnus castus, which is chaste tree. And, and these names are all in the future slides. So if you have the handout, you have those common names as well. Angelica sinensis, which is Don Quai, and Colophyllum phalactroides, which is blue cohosh. And then we also want to make sure that we have a uterine tonic in there. So here I put Simicifuga racemosa, and I forgot to put my other favorite one, which is Rubus ideus, which is red raspberry leaf. I love red raspberry leaf um, when a woman is struggling with getting menstruation to happen. And so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that one later too. And then looking at those herbs that really stimulate um, balancing of hormones. And so Vitex agnus castus is also a hormone normalizer. So you can see on this list that we've got two herbs that have two out of those three actions. So when we're looking at herbal actions so that we can make a formula, if we decide that we want like five different actions, that doesn't mean that we need five different herbs. It means that we just need to get really good at finding those herbs that meet a variety of criteria. And then we get some really powerful yet simple formulas. So I formulate in a very Western tradition. And so that means that I like to use three to five herbs in a formula. Every once in a while I'll go six or seven, but that is not normal for me. I like a very simple formula. Um, but in that same note, I never use one single herb. So when we learn herbs, we're going to learn them that way. We learn them as singles or what we call simples so that we understand the actions of the herb, what it has traditionally been used for, um, maybe what its chemical makeup is. But then keeping in mind, when we put these herbs together in formulas, they synergize with each other. So at that point, one and one no longer equals two, sometimes one and one equals four or five, 
okay? We get a stronger reaction when we blend these together. So um, let's go on to dysmenorrhea. It's already, um, I'm already almost halfway through my time. <laughs> so, okay, dysmenorrhea basically just means cyclical pain with menstruation. Um, so pain of some sort during that cycle. Primary dysmenorrhea is not related to any type of pelvic lesion. So no structural issue in the pelvis. Um, and, and this pain might even just begin at the very first cycle that a girl has. So this is that, that painful cramping feeling before bleeding begins to happen. Usually it will subside within that first day or two of bleeding, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, for some women, this is a mild issue, and for others, it's extremely debilitating. And um, often is the most common reason why a, a woman will go and complain at her gynecologist is that she just is experiencing a lot of dysmenorrhea. It's also the leading cause of absence from school and work. Um, I have a daughter who experienced dysmenorrhea from her very first cycle and she almost could not get out of bed. So um, we had to really begin some herbal botanical therapies for her. Um, secondary dysmenorrhea is pain that is related to some type of a pelvic lesion. So that can be endometriosis, pelvic inflammatory disease, post-surgical adhesions, or um, problems that arise from having an IUD. So the herbal actions we're gonna look for in dysmenorrhea are some of them the same, but a lot different. We're coming at this from a different way. We're really looking at antispasmodics as one of the core things. And so these are herbs that are going to relax tissue, um, relax the spasms, and often these are analgesic or, or anodyne herbs, meaning that they're pain relieving as well. Uh, we will be looking at nervines, so again, those things that have action in the nervous system. Diuretics, things that move fluid, oftentimes dysmenorrhea, um, we look at as a congestive condition, and so we wanna move fluid. Uterine tonics as well, always, always, always a uterine tonic, and so here's where I listed rubus ideas and then hormone normalizers as well. Some factors that, that can worsen dysmenorrhea are um, anemia. So we wanna see, you know, having a doctor check to see if that patient is um, anemic. Um, are, are, do they have excess weight? That makes a difference. Um, do they experience chronic illness? Is their job really stressful? Do they have other health conditions that may be leading to that. And again, what is their nutrition like? So then we're gonna go into premenstrual syndrome. So premenstrual syndrome has about 150 different symptoms. So on the right side of your screen, I listed like the most common things. And every woman could probably say that we experience several of these during our cycle. But for it to be really considered premenstrual syndrome, it has to be recurrent and cyclical set of physical and behavioral symptoms that interfere with quality of life, okay? 
So while we might all experience some of this, it has to be severe enough to interfere with quality of life. Um, this can begin seven to 14 days before the onset of menses and affects 40% of women to some degree. Um, so like, you know, I was one of those women that, you know, really rarely experienced anything. So when my daughter started to experience a lot of this, I, I had to get really aware of PMS because I just, I couldn't relate. I was very fortunate um, in that way. So this is probably the most important thing to know about PMS in my mind. And there are four classifications of PMS. So we have PMS-A, which stands for anxiety. So this is, the, this is the woman who, when she is coming up to her menses, she's very irritable. She's anxious about everything. Everything triggers her temper. She's very hostile. Um, this is often related to high estrogen levels and low progesterone. And so I look at this as the, <laughs> the kind of homicidal mentality, right? Like we're going to kill everyone. Like don't get on my nerve, right? Um, the next one would be PMSD, which is depression. And so this is the complete opposite. So this, this woman before the onset of her cycle, she's tearful. She's crying at the slightest thing. She will isolate. She's very depressed. She wants to lay in bed. She doesn't have any motivation. This is often low estrogen and excess progesterone. So this I look at, you know, when a woman comes to me and says, oh, I'm experiencing PMS, I will say, well, when you feel like that, are you suicidal or homicidal? <laughs> and that kind of gives me the clue as to which one uh, we're dealing with more. So does she experience more anxiety, which makes our temper flare, or does she isolate and feel sad? And so we would classify that as depression. The third category, PMSC, that's carbohydrate craving. And so this individual will have increased appetite. They want breads, they want sugar, they want chocolate. Um, they will have such intense cravings, and maybe they even crave salt too, right? And so it's just a lot of cravings, and they're compelled to eat carbohydrates during this time. And I see this in clients that are on, especially on very carb restricted diets. It's like this time of the month comes and they just cannot control themselves. They have to have it. And that's what makes them feel better. Right. And so, um, there, one of the theories about this is that there is increased intracellular binding of insulin during this time, which is triggering the cravings, um, but this person may also experience cyclical headaches and they might get that racing heart, that those heart palpitations that come up around that time too. The fourth classification, PMSH, which is hyperhydration. Um, so this is increased water retention. So they may bloat, um, ankles may swell, um, their, their abdomen might bloat, and so this is really related to excess aldosterone levels, but can also be excess estrogen, and we would even look at magnesium deficiency as being part of what's going on in this classification of PMS. Um, let's see here. Let me make sure I'm not forgetting anything for you. 
Okay, so I'm just gonna go through a couple of things here. Um, some other causes of premenstrual syndrome that we would wanna look at would be um, prolactin. And so this is a hormone that's involved in regulating breast tissue development during pregnancy. And so, so this is a theory about PMS, not that this is set in stone, but um, prolactin can be also associated with menstrual irregularities, PMS, diminished libido, depression, hostility, and breast tenderness. And prolactin levels peak at ov ovulation and remain high during the luteal phase. And so some suggest that 62% of women with menstrual disorders will have some elevation of prolactin. Um, then we look at estrogen and progesterone ratios. The deficiency of progesterone or abnormally high estrogen during that luteal phase has been a theory for many years, although st hormonal studies don't necessarily corroborate that, but that's a theory. Um, the other would be vitamin B6 and magnesium deficiency. And so vitamin B6 is... Uh, required for metabolism of amino acids, carbohydrates, and fats. It's also a necessary coenzyme that converts serotonin into dopamine. And so that would explain a lot of the mood issues that we have during times of PMS. Um, and deficiency can lead to depression, peripheral neuropathy, and mood changes. Women with PMS may have normal serum magnesium levels, um, but have lower blood cell magnesium levels. Um, calcium and dairy products might be responsible for inhibiting our absorption of magnesium. And refined sugar, which is often what we're craving around this time, uh, refined sugar increases our urinary excretion of magnesium and deficiency can reduce dopamine and thyroid activity and those can then lead to depression mood changes and the muscle cramping that that uterine cramping that we experience the other theory is prostaglandins which is part of the inflammatory process and so increased prostaglandin production is associated with breast pain fluid retention cramping, headaches, irritability, and depression. Um, dysmenorrhea has responded to prostaglandin inhibitors. And so we're, when we talk about herbs that are prostaglandin inhibitors, you're looking at things like green tea and ginger, holy basil, white willow, um, rosemary, turmeric. These are all COX-2 inhibitors. So they're specifically inhibiting prostaglandin production. So think about those things if dysmenorrhea is something that you're experiencing during this time before your cycle. Emotional and physical stressors also influence the, the site, menstrual cycle and can increase severity of PMS. Um, extreme travel. So like I travel a lot for work. And so, you know, I travel like twice a month and it really does disrupt things in your cycle. Um, but even just extreme weather changes or environmental factors, um, 
you know, cultural and personal attitudes around the menstrual cycle. So, you know, when I'm working with a, a girl who's having a hard time with her cycle, we really do sit and have a talk about how do you feel about your menstrual cycle? You know, what was taught to you about your cycle? You know, it used to be centuries ago, um, women during their cycle were believed to be at their most powerful and magical time of the month. And men were fearful of the power of women during that time. So when you, you know, you read about like the red tent, women were relegated to the tent. All the women who were having their menses at the same time spent the week in this tent. And the men were fearful of them because they knew that women had power that they could not comprehend. The men just could not comprehend it. Now, that's really not the way we look at menstruation today. And many girls feel like menstruation is this, you know, prison sentence and it's horrible, it's awful, and, you know, they should be miserable during that time. And, and you know, I really worked to, to, to try to teach my daughters that, that this was our birthright. This is what makes us beautiful. This is what makes us strong. This is what makes us capable. And so how we psychologically view this process of a woman's life changes how we go through this experience. So just something to think about. Okay, so now we're going to get into the botanical therapeutics. And so I'm hoping that we'll get through all of these before the end of the time. Okay, Simicifuga racemosa, black cohosh. The part that we use is the root. This is an amenagogue, a uterine tonic, a relaxing nervine, and an antispasmodic. And so this is, you can use this as an infusion, so which means a tea. So you can use bulk root and make a tea and drink it, or you can use this as a liquid extract or what others might know as a tincture. Um, and that's typically how I use most of these is in a tincture, but certain, certain things I'll tell you I really like in a, in a tea. Um, so it's also, there's other actions that it has that, you know, it's a mild expectorant, it's anti-inflammatory, there's a, a variety of actions, but these are the ones that specifically fit what we're talking about today. And so it's useful for um, mood swings during the cycle, nervousness, depression, headaches that come in the luteal phase that are associated with low estrogen. Um, also indicated when there is trauma to the nervous system that causes congestion and pain. And so this can be physical trauma or this can be emotional trauma. And so um, when we look at the female reproductive system, it's really in the root chakra, right? And in the sacral chakra. And so we look at issues of security. Okay. So if you're get, if you're into that mental emotional aspect of, of where issues begin, right. And that all things sort of begin with an emotional root. So then, you know, I have a conversation with my client about, um, you know, how do they feel security-wise in their relationships, with themselves, in their family, that kind of thing. Um, you, very useful for menstrual cramping because it's a really good antispasmodic. 
Um, and then because it has good emmenagogue action, it helps to stimulate menses that is late. So maybe that you're not missing the menses altogether, but it's continuing to come late. So we may use black cohosh in that time before you're going to get your next cycle um, to help to bring that cycle on at the appropriate time. Now, it also is mildly bitter, so it's, a, it's useful for digestion, or it's carminative, I should say. So it's really good for indigestion that also comes along with hormo female hormonal imbalance. Um, migraines associated with the cycle. So in that second half of the cycle, you know, maybe a week or so before she begins to bleed, she always gets this headache. That's when we would want to be working with black cohosh. This herb contains salicylic acid, um, which is the same thing that you get in um, white willow bark, same thing that then made aspirin. And so we do get some pain relief from the black cohosh. It also does appear to act as a phytoestrogen. So um, what that means is that it fills an estrogen receptor, but it does not contain estrogen. So just so that you're aware of that if you're not familiar with what that term means. So it fills an estrogen receptor so it can act like estrogen or it can fill that receptor and block estrogen. So um, again, it's not actually giving you estrogen. It is contraindicated in the first trimester of pregnancy, but can be used in the second and third trimester only with supervision, somebody who really understands how to use this during pregnancy, um, because it can stimulate labor. So never using in the first trimester, but could you do it in the third trimester if you were wanting to help bring on labor? Um, so again, with, uh, with much knowledge and study of that. Um, low, large doses of simisifuga can slow the heart rate and can cause low blood pressure. Um, and we can get to a toxic level of black cohosh, so we don't want to be taking really large amounts of this. And so if you, if you experience any kind of nausea or vomiting, um, after taking black cohosh, you, you have taken too much, so you want to um, pull back on that. The eclectic physicians used black cohosh for restlessness, nervousness, um, breast pain, and menstrual headaches, so we have traditional use of black cohosh. Um, preliminary research indicates the rhizome may also act as a mild serotonin reuptake inhibitor. And German health authorities have approved simisifuga for use in PMS and dysmenorrhea. Um, and then there's a, there's a study listed in the resources where breast cancer survivors experience delayed recurrence of breast cancer um, when taking black cohosh. So I thought that was really interesting. Vitex agnus castus, this is chaste tree. And in, for this plant, we use the berry. So you can see on, on this image with the flower, there's a mixture of the flowers and then they're gonna turn. We, we say berry, it's really a seed, right? But you know, most of the things we call berries are seeds. Um, so this is an amenagogue and a hormone normalizer. And this really is most supportive of the luteal phase of the cycle. So that second half of the cycle after ovulation. Um, 
very useful for a variety of PMS symptoms. Also um, useful in um, women experiencing issues with endometriosis. So helping to really normalize the hormone production um, in order to balance out the severity of the symptoms that they're experiencing. Um, secondary amenorrhea responding to this, um, but also thinking about women who um, experience maybe premenstrual herpetic outbreaks. So those cyclical outbreaks of herpes, um, premenstrual acne, this would be a really good one for, um, and then some uterine fibroids as well. But this has also been used, and we'll talk about this again when we in the next webinar where we're talking about menopause, we're gonna talk about chase tree again because it's really supported there. Um, it appears to increase luteinizing hormone production and inhibit follicle stimulating hormone. So it's really shifting the estrogen, estrogen to progesterone ratio in favor of progesterone. And so in um, traditional texts, this has also been useful in avoiding miscarriage that happens um, due to a drop in progesterone. So interesting. Generally contraindicated in pregnancy due to the amenagogue effects. But um, again, if you're um, experiencing miscarriages like that, it might be something worth talking with your, your practitioner about. Um, may counteract the effectiveness of birth control pills though, or other hormone therapy. So keeping that in mind, if you're looking to recommend this, are they on a birth control? Are they doing other hormone therapies? This might be something we wanna find an alternative for. Um, and um, this really has been studied as far back as 1954. That was when the very first study of, of chaste tree was done. And so you'll see um, that in the resources as well. Dioscorea villosa, wild yam. We use the root of this one. It is also antispasmodic, carminative, and diaphoretic. And so this is, um, you can do this as a tincture, but it's really great as a decoction. So that's also a tea. It just means that we've simmered the root of the wild yam, as opposed to just steeping it like we do a regular tea bag. So um, it's indicated for spasmodic, shooting, aching, or shifting pain. And so pains that are excite, um, associated with an overexcited nervous system. But what I also think is interesting is this one has been um, used when you have hip pain that you only experience at night. Like that's really specific. And so I find that really kind of cool. And, and I've used it and it works. <laughs> um, that, so the antispasmodic nature of this herb helps to relieve cramping of the muscles of the uterus. So it's going to calm that cramping down. And I use this actually in a lot of my pain formulas because it is such an effective antispasmodic. So not necessarily just for female issues. We typically hear wild yam as um, a progesterone replacement. Um, and it's not really that. It does contain diostenin, which um, in a lab through many processes can become progesterone, but it doesn't metabolize in the body that way. So it's really, you know, kind of a misnomer when we, when we call it a progesterone supplement. But 
This is used typically for um, supporting progesterone levels. So in times where progesterone is low and estrogen might then be um, high. Uh, and it's also really supportive of the liver and the nervous system. So we get a lot of really great action in this um, for times of painful menstruation, um, even nausea that happens during pregnancy. Uh, this would be really good for calming that nausea. And then issues around endometriosis. Um, and so, you know, thinking about that for your dysmenorrhea and your PMS protocols. This is viburnum opulus, which is cramp bark. And again, the bark is what we use, of the bark of the branches of this plant. It's astringent. And so this is, when we talk about a, an astringent, this is a really good one if you experience very heavy menstrual flow um, or what is called menstrual flooding. So this one will astringe that and slow that bleeding down. It's not going to stop bleeding that has to happen, but it will slow that down. Um, the other astringent that I really love, and I did not put it in this PowerPoint, is yarrow. So you can use yarrow to astringe that menstrual flooding as well. But cramp bark is also antispasmodic and it's also a nervine, so it really fills several of those herbal actions that we're looking for in dysmenorrhea and in PMS. Um, let's see, where am I at here? Um, most useful for menstrual cramps that come with excessive blood loss, um, but also can be used for any atonic condition like um, uterine prolapse, because anytime we're looking at an astringent, it's going to tighten and tonify tissue, okay? Um, threatened miscarriage, where the uterus is very spastic, and the uterus is just not holding the pregnancy the way it needs to, then cramp bark has been used. This is also related to um, black haw, which is another viburnum, although cramp bark's actions tend to be about four times stronger than blackhawk. So you can use them interchangeably, but I tend to use cramp bark because I like that it's a little more powerful. Now, using this after labor also then improves tone of the uterus, allowing the uterus to come back to um, normal size and stimulating proper circulation back to the uterus, all of that. Um, so some cautions with cramp bark, the leaves and the fruit contain a bitter constituent, which is viburine, that might cause some irritation in the gastrointestinal tract. Now, I don't find this necessarily to be the case when I'm using this in a formula, but if I, if I were to use this by itself, that's when I would probably notice that more so. Um, but when you're putting it into a formula, it's usually you know just a small part of that formula. So um, you can be putting it with other things that will you know, calm that or put it with a demulcent that's going to soothe tissue. So you can kind of mitigate that particular issue. Um, not to be taken with blood thinning agents. Um, there is a, a coumarin constituent in the plant um, and it might cause in large doses um, some low blood pressure. So keeping an eye on that and not to be used during pregnancy unless again done with much study and much guidance. 
Angelica sinensis, this is Dong Kwai. We use the dried root of Dong Kwai. It's an alterative, which means that it, or alterative, it means that it alters the function of a particular system or organ. And so alteratives um, often have been called blood cleansers. That's not really what they do, but that was kind of how it was understood. So looking at like it is normalizing function of, and these are typically very nutrient rich plants that are alteratives. Um, and then it is also a menagogue. So the, the nutrient rich plants um, or the reason that this is an alterative is also why it's considered to be a blood builder. It's one of our really great blood builders. So um, I use this when uh, a woman is experiencing a lot of heavy bleeding um, because we really need to build that blood back up. Um, or if she is experiencing bleeding that is um, very clotting, uh, very thick, then I'll look at a blood builder to get blood being produced the way it should. Um, so using this post-period and post-heavy bleeding, it is anti-congestive. So when we look back at the PMS classifications and we looked at PMS um, H, the, the hyperhydration, uh, where they're retaining a lot of water, that's a very congestive condition, things are building up and not moving. And so that's when I would look at Dong Kwai as well. Uh, contraindicated in pregnancy. This is Ginkgo biloba, also very anti-congestive. Um, this is really a great circulatory herb. So I would use this also in the hyperhydration category of PMS. So, you know, the woman who um, gains five pounds before her cycle. And the minute she starts bleeding, that five pounds comes right back off. This would be best used in that luteal phase and maybe through the first you know, five days of the next cycle. So day one being the day she starts to bleed. Um, and, and really just kind of playing around with the time frame on that because some women do really well just taking it up until time of bleeding. Others will need to take it for a few days in. Um, so you know, just you know, thinking about what's working best for that particular client. Um, really great for the fluid retention, the, the breast tenderness. So this would be the woman that, you know, when she's having her cycle, like she doesn't even want to wear a bra because her breasts are so tender. Ginkgo will help to move that congestion. Um, and so using this just cyclically in that luteal phase. Now I love kava. Kava root has been traditionally used um, in the South Pacific uh, forever. It's a, they use it as a traditional beverage, and so they make this basically a tea of it and drink it. It's like a very ceremonial way of making this tea. Um, we now make kava in tinctures, and you can do kava capsules and all these things. There has been some issues with liver concerns, liver toxicity in the use of kava. So before I really go into um, why we would choose to use kava, um, I wanna talk about how you prepare kava. So if you look back at traditional use, when they prepare it as a tea, there have really been no reports of liver issue in that preparation. Everything I see with liver issues, and somebody can email me if I'm wrong, um, 
But what I've seen is that it, we really are experiencing that when we're using it as an alcohol preparation, a tincture, or a, what we call a liquid extract. So um, I got, I'm really excited because uh, Wise Woman Herbals just came out then with some kava extracted in glycerin, so a glycerite instead of an alcohol preparation. And so that was really exciting, and then a kava capsule. So now I have more options to use with my clients if I, if I don't want to use an alcohol preparation. Kava is sedative. It's also very antispasmodic. It's anti-inflammatory and it's diuretic. And so this has been studied extensively for use in anxiety. And so if you're experiencing PMS that comes with anxiety, this is a really great one for you to use. Um, and it's been studied as an alternative to anti-anxiety medications. So I would really suggest thinking about adding kava in. Now, some people get a little um, drowsy with kava, so I would play around with how much you're using um, and see what works right for you. Um, if you're gonna use this for PMS pain and mood swings, then you would be looking at using this in the luteal phase and then through the first five days of the next cycle. Um, and you're really wanting to use, uh, well, Dr. Lodog, Tierna Lodog, she recommends 60 to 100 milligrams of kava lactones. Um, so, you know, looking for something that is standardized. So one of the um, glycerin extracts that Wise Woman Herbals just came out with is a standardized kava glycerite. And so that way you know how much kava lactones you're getting in each dropper. And so that's really helpful. Um, now, uh, I'm a very traditional herbalist, so I don't always necessarily pay attention to standardized milligram types of things. Doctors often really wanna know how many milligrams are in something. I tend to use more just traditional whole herb um, preparations. So, um, you know, to each his own, there's a lot of different ways of looking at medicine, and I love it. That's why it's so exciting. Okay, Scutellaria lateriflora. This is skullcap. This is my absolute favorite antispasmodic. I love, love, love skullcap. This antispasmodic works so well for so many different types of things. And so this also goes in any of my formulas where I have to handle pain that comes from spastic muscles. So really responds well for menstrual cramping. It's also stomachic. Um, so that means that it's working on the stomach. So this is really great when um, your menstrual cycle your PMS issues also create digestive issues. It's anti-inflammatory and it's a nervine. Really great for premenstrual tension, um, tension in general. I mean, I use this for, you know, muscle tension in the neck, like when you're really stressed. I use it, you know, when somebody's experiencing tension headaches. Um, ever been super stressed and your eye twitches and it like lasts a week? Skullcap, love skullcap. You can do this as an infusion as well, or you can do it as a tincture, or you can do it as capsules. Really great in any one of those preparations. Um, and can be used very safely uh, for premenstrual tension, but for all kinds of issues. I've never had um, an issue where somebody has taken too much skullcap. 
So that's really nice. Colophyllum, this is blue cohosh. We use the root of this one as well. Also antispasmodic and amenagogue. So really useful for bringing on delayed menstruation um, and it can induce labor. So has been used in that last few weeks of pregnancy in order to help stimulate contractions and bring on labor. Um, it stimulates and relaxes the uterine muscles at the same time, which is really, really cool. Um, but we will say contraindicated in pregnancy, okay, because we know that it can bring on labor. Um, the, uh, let's see, what else do I want to say about that? I think that's it about blue cohosh. So a lot of these herbs, you'll see that, um, you know, they're better at certain times. And so this is where we get into like kind of cyclic cycling of herbs. And we use certain herbs in the first part of the cycle if we want to, to support the estrogen dominant part of the cycle. And then we have certain herbs we can use in the luteal phase if we want to support progesterone in the cycle. And so doing this sort of um, cyclic cycling of formulas to help bring on menstruation if they're experiencing amenorrhea or even just um, erratic menstruation is really beneficial. And so I just wanna go over a few of the products that I love that have a lot of these herbs in it. So this is Phytoest. And so the ingredients are listed there on the screen for you. Phytoest supports the follicular phase, the first 14 days of the cycle. Um, now you may find there's a time where you need this in that second half as well. It's totally up to you guys, but, um, but this was designed really to support days one through 14. So if I'm looking to stimulate menses for someone who's experiencing amenorrhea, I will have them take Phytoest days one to 14, and then I have them switch to Phytoprogest days 15 to 28. Now, this is not gonna stimulate a cycle month one, okay? This, is, this can take several months for this to happen. What we're sort of doing with these, with cycling these two formulas is we're teaching the glandular system how to produce hormones at certain times or supporting um, how the body does certain hormones in both phases. And so the body begins to, re to remember that and it's about month three that, that maybe we can stimulate some menses to happen. The other one that I love is women's cramp bark compound. Really, really great for that premenstrual um, dysmenorrhea. So a uh, lot of different issues around pain in the cycle. And so I will recommend this one um, in several short doses, several doses close together until maybe they re achieve some relief. And then they can do it, you know, just a few times a day after that. And a, and a lot of women really only need to use this for just a couple of days, you know, those most painful days of the cycle. And so maybe we're supporting with other herbs before the cycle happens, you know, those uterine tonics, like I mentioned, Rubus ideus. I love, like, have them drink red raspberry leaf tea all day through their whole cycle like let that be one of their main drinks and if they could do that for a month 
I have seen women say that very next cycle that it was like life changing. So, um, you know, think about those three formulas when you're looking at um, putting things together, but also the individual herbs. If you're a practitioner that you like to compound things, then by all means, look at what those herbal actions are and compound your own formulas that make sense to you and adding in those herbs that are your favorites, like red raspberries, my favorite. So, okay. If there are any questions, I would love to answer them now. And if not, I'll turn it over to Dr. Farshad. And if by chance you come up with a question later after the uh, webinar, uh, not to worry, we'll be giving you Chris's contact information so that way you can get a hold of her and get those questions answered. Um, so Chris mentioned a ton of great single herbs today, and like she mentioned, those last three compounds are um, offered by Wise Woman Herbals to make it easy and convenient for you to use um, for yourself or in practice for your patients. So uh, those three uh, compounds are 10% off when you use today's uh, promo code KV819. That's valid from today until the 23rd of this month. You can go ahead and call customer service to take advantage of that uh, pr uh, promotion code, 541-895-5172. And then, um, Chris, if you want to change the slide, please. Chris will also be giving uh, part two of this webinar series next month. So next month's topic will be botanical support for healthy menopause. So she'll, again, be going over all the herbs that are highly recommended to use for a, a healthy and pleasant uh, menopause. Um, you can go to the practitioner learning community to register for that. And I think that is it. Thank you so much, Chris, again, for all the great information. And we look forward to talking with you next month. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for being on. We'll see you next month. Take care, everyone.